You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU women's basketball team headed to Dallas for the Final Four for the first time since 2008. Welcome into Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game hotlines, 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. It was probably one of the uglier basketball games that you've seen in a long time. Kim Mulkey even said it on national television. I she She said that if she was at home watching the game, she would have turned it off. 54 to 42, the final score when combined, both teams only made one three pointer. My producer and co host, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Monday to you, sir. Happy Monday, Matt. How you doing? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good myself. So you look at this game and. Obviously, there, there was a ton at stake for, for LSU and Miami as well. This was their first appearance in the Elite Eight ever for Miami. Uh, they were a nine seed. LSU came into this as the three seed. So on paper, you know, you thought, okay, you know, if LSU plays, if LSU plays the way they've played all season, they're going to coast. And it, it really proved to be true because... In a game where LSU shot 30.2% from the field, 8% from downtown, and committed 12 turnovers, they still won by 12. They still won by 12. And then, here's, here's the other wild thing to look at when you look at the box score. Angel Reese went 3 of 15. All of it coming, the, the the three field goals, all coming in the second half. So, the fact that LSU was still able to win it handedly kind of says a lot. Kind of proves my point. That if LSU would have played the way they've played the previous 33 games of the season... They probably would have rolled. But look, you know, Miami had a had a great performance. Um, Jasmine Roberts with 22 points on 10 of 20 shooting. One thing that was kind of interesting, neither Cavender twin was, was really a factor. Um, they combined for two points on one of seven shooting. Which was which was intriguing because they've been key role players for for Miami all season long, uh, so the fact that neither one of them really contributed was interesting. And then Destiny Harden, you held her to O of nine shooting, with only three points. So, 
it was a good performance defensively for for Kim Mulkey's crew. And, and now, like I said, going to only their sixth Final Four and their first since 2008. Of course, 2008 was the end of that five straight Final Four appearances for LSU. And following the game last night, Kim Mulkey was asked what this trip to the Final Four means. Chess. I just wanted to come back to the state of Louisiana and come home. Uh, my mom lives 40 minutes away. My son flew in here a minute we got, uh, in the third quarter trying to get him here. He finished spring training with the St. Louis Cardinals. Mackenzie, my daughter's been on my staff for years, played for me, my grandchildren, my son-in-law, Clay. That's what it means to me at the age I am now. But what really makes me smile is not cutting that net down is looking around out there at all those LSU people, looking at that team I get to coach, experience it for the first time. This is the first time any of them have ever been to a Final Four, unless Lex went during her journey, I can't remember, but none of the others have been. And that's what it means to me. Yeah, you know, you you listen to Kim Mulkey talk about basically everybody else but herself. The reason for that, James, is... This isn't her first rodeo. She's been to the Final Four as a player. She's been to the Final Four as a coach. She she understands what it means to be at this stage and how to win at this stage. Because as a as a head coach, this is her fifth appearance in the Final Four. Yeah, she's a seasoned vet at this stuff at this point. She's played she's coached for 23 years. She knows what she's doing. So it's it's interesting to hear her talk about, you know, her assistants that have never experienced the final four or her players that have never experienced the final four and for her to come back to Louisiana 40 minutes from where she grew up in Hammond and turn this program around that quickly because people tend to forget LSU women's basketball in 2021 only won nine games. They only won nine games. Since Kim Mulkey took over less than two years to the day, they've lost, they've lost eight games. She went 26-6 and six last year, which was the best turnaround in the history of the SEC. And then now this year they're 32-2 and two and going to the Final Four. She hasn't been employed by LSU two full years, and she has already put them in the Final Four. And next year might even be better with the talent that they have coming in. Kim Mulkey also talked about in the postgame presser about her message to Miami in the handshake line postgame. Several things. One... When you win and you beat a lot of people in our profession, you want to beat them bad because you don't like them. I like Katie. I just have always liked Katie. I like to watch her when she was a player. I like to watch how she coaches. I like her personality. I like how she appreciates the older coaches in the game. She says all the right things. She's not um, – she, just, she just is a, just a kind and easy person to talk to. And 
I've been in that handshake line as a player. And I've been in that handshake line as a senior that's going to take that uniform off for the last time. And they had a remarkable run in the playoffs. They were in an Elite Eight for the first time. And just basically encouraging them not to forget that. While it hurts and it's okay, if you don't hurt, you didn't invest much. But keep perspective, and tomorrow when you wake up, celebrate what you did. Miami, really impressive season. Like I mentioned, their first trip to the Elite Eight in program history. Now LSU will head to Dallas for the Final Four. They will play Friday night at 6 o'clock against the winner of Virginia Tech and Ohio State. Now, James, one thing that's going to be interesting to see, if Ohio State is able to beat Virginia Tech tonight, it's going to be vindication a little bit for, for, for Kim Mulkey and, and company because if you remember... Ohio State is the team that knocked them out of the NCAA tournament last season in Baton Rouge. Ohio State beat them 79-64 to inside the PMAC to take them out of the NCAA tournament. And another thing to note, Katari Poole, who had a large hand in the success for, for LSU this year, is one of their better three-point shooters. She had five points in the game yesterday. She played for Ohio State last year. So she beat LSU in the PMAC and then in the offseason transferred to LSU. So this could kind of be a revenge game of sorts for multiple reasons. If Ohio State would be able to move on into the Final Four, they were the ones that eliminated Geno Oriema and UConn earlier in the weekend. But again... The, the story here is just how impressive it has been to watch Kim Mulkey turn this program around as quickly as she has. I mean, James, in, in your experience, have you ever seen a team do a complete 180 like this? I've seen teams kind of go from almost that worst to first type of deal in like the NFL where it's like they go from maybe two, three, four wins to all of a sudden they're at 10, 11 wins and maybe they move on to the second round of the playoffs. But to see like this for a basketball team that won nine games in 2020 or 2021 to now all of a sudden you're in the final four yeah, and you have a pretty good chance of playing for the championship. That's crazy. It's it's insane to to think about. Because whenever I first saw the hiring of Kim Mulkey, I thought, okay, you've hired Brian Kelly, you've hired Jay Johnson, you've hired Kim Mulkey, you've made a bunch of new coaching hires since you got a new AD. Mm-hmm. I said of of the new coaches, who was going to win a championship first? Kim Mulkey. I said Kim Mulkey. I said she was going to. I had a prediction of she was going to do it by her second year. And that's still alive. It is. And and still he, very much alive. What what's so fascinating to see is you knew that when Kim Mulkey came in here that she was going to turn the program around. But the reason that she was signed to a 
I believe it's a five-year deal. Mm-hmm. It's because you knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. Year two might very well be just about overnight. I mean... And it was crazy because last year, them getting eliminated kind of early, you thought maybe they could have made it to the next round. You thought yeah. maybe they could have made it to even the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. And that was with and that was with a significantly less talented squad. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so on today's show, we'll continue talking about LSU women's basketball. We will also touch on LSU baseball. You thought they were going to have a rough weekend after Friday? Nah, nah. <laughs> nah. anything but uh, Cajuns baseball again. You thought they were going to have a rough weekend after Friday? Nah, nah. We'll recap both of those series. We'll also talk about Cajuns softball, picking up two out of three at home for their record 75th straight Sunbelt Conference Series. They haven't lost a Sunbelt Series in a decade. We'll do that and much more throughout today's edition of Crunch Time right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's crawfish time in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has everything you need to throw the ultimate crawfish boil with the game's ultimate crawfish boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, and Iron Horse Sales and Service. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score a $500 Visa gift card, a boiling pot, a burner, a paddle, ice chest, tumblers and chairs, and two giant sacks of live crawfish. Plus, we'll even throw in a pair of Astros tickets. Enter now for the Ultimate Crawfish Boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, Iron Horse Sales and Service, and the game. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 419 here on your Monday, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Hit us up on the game hotline. It's 337-706-0111. Looking at LSU baseball, the number one team in the country. Mon- Friday, Friday, get it together. Friday's game was a pitcher's duel until it was not. So I had the I had the privilege to go cover this game on Friday. And Arkansas put up a run in the fourth on a sacrifice fly. Which, you know, obviously it's a run, but it's not really anything like, oh man, you know, you you really got me with that RBI double. No, it was it was a sack fly. So they took the one nothing lead. And LSU really kept them in check outside of that. Paul Skeens had another great performance. Surprise, surprise. LSU gets the solo shot in the eighth to tie the game. Had the opportunity to win it in the ninth and just really couldn't convert. So they go to extras. And then something flipped in the tenth. And Arkansas went crazy. 
a three-run shot. They went around the order in the 10th because Reese Robinette hits a three-run homer. One of the guys that scores is Kendall Diggs. Later in the inning, Kendall Diggs comes up and hits a grand slam to make it 9-1. to one. So you batted around in the inning. Uh, and then Dylan Cruz was able to get a Cruz missile to dead center right off the batter's eye in center field uh, to make it 9-3. to three. But that was really all, all LSU was able to get out of that Friday game. So things were kind of intriguing as, as you headed into the doubleheader on Saturday. You, you started to think, oh, well, you know, maybe LSU is going to have a, a poor start to the season for, for SEC play after winning two out of three against Texas A&M. They were going to drop their first home series to Arkansas, blah, blah, blah. James, it was anything but. You want to talk about a flip switch of a flip? A switch flipping for Arkansas on Friday. The switch flipped for LSU on Saturday. You outscored Arkansas, one of the best offensive teams in America. You outscored them 26-7 in two games. One of those games, you run-ruled them. And also, another thing that's interesting to point out, Tommy White went... 0 for 5 on Friday. He changed on Saturday. So I, I, I got a little piece of of insider. We're not really insider. It, it was posted to social media. <clears throat> Apparently, after the game Friday night, mm-hmm. Tommy White sent a text message to Jay Johnson mm-hmm. and said, Hey, coach, uh, sorry I had such a bad day. I'll be better tomorrow. Boy, was he. Oh, boy. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Tommy White on fri- on Saturday proved why LSU recruited him so hard. He went two of three in the first game with an RBI and a run scored on a, on a, on a fly out in the sixth. And then he turns around in the nightcap in game two, the 14-5 to win for the Tigers. And just goes absolutely ballistic. In five at-bats, two hits, two runs scored, seven RBIs. Hit a pair of homers. A three-run and a grandy. Both of his hits were homers. Three-run homer and a grand slam. It was beautiful. I mean, what, what, what more do you say about a performance like that. And then Gavin Duga hit a, hit a two-run homer. Dylan Cruz had a homer. This was a game where LSU really just put the hammer down. And then it it kind of felt like Arkansas used up all their gas Absolutely. unknowingly in the first game. Absolutely. In the 10th inning, those eight runs, it was like, okay, it it took you to the 8th and you had just exploded. But after that, they just didn't have much. They scored They scored early on. They scored in the first inning in both games, scoring Correct. two runs apiece. So they scored four runs in the first inning of both games total. But after that, 
They just went flat. So now you're 21 and 3. You're still the number one team in the country. And you get a midweek game against Grambling tomorrow, which, look, we'll give credit where credit's due to Grambling and the SWAC. But everybody saw what Louisiana did to them last week or the week before. No, it was last week, last Tuesday. LSU is just going to rip Grambling to shreds. I I would you be, seeing this uh, you seeing this as a nineteen to two. I would be horribly surprised if Grambling stays within fifteen. No, oh, I'm not going to go that far. Ten. If they stay within five runs, I'll be floored. Floored. This game's going to be run ruled. More than likely. So then, you so you've got that opportunity for a tune-up game. And then you've got another home SEC series against a Tennessee team that has not quite lived up to expectations so far this season. You look at you, you look at the Volunteers, they're coming into this game 19 and 6. They're on a four-game winning streak, but they haven't performed well away from home. They're on four. And you look at SEC play, they opened it with a three-game series against Missouri, which Missouri swept them. And then you went home to play A&M, and then you swept A&M. So you bounced back well against A&M, which is great. And you've got a game against UNC Asheville tomorrow before you hit the road. But if LSU can continue to play the way that they have, I could very well see them taking two out of three against Tennessee at home. Which would then put you at 23-4 and at the quote-unquote halfway point of the season. I mean, that's wild. And then you look at the Cajuns. Very similar weekend for the Cajuns. You get a 12-11 slugfest Friday night. Cajuns had a five-run lead late pitching kind of lets you down and, and and you let it slip away 12 to 11 crushing defeat right you start to think okay well you know maybe maybe they might be in trouble this weekend because since it was such a crushing defeat they might be a little down on themselves coming into game two things of that nature nope nope try 22 to 5 22 to 5 where Louisiana hit 5 home runs in the game you had Julian Brock just have another incredible performance with 2 RBIs John Taylor with 4 RBIs Will Vayon Mason Zambo each with 3 And you really just continued to put the hammer down with 18 base hits. You only left seven guys on base, which is pretty good. It's not ideal. It's not bad. And then, so you even the series. Well, now you got to go play game three 30 minutes after that. You're probably going to be tired. 
Nah. 10 to 6. Louisiana scored double digit runs in all three games on the weekend. And thanks to the 22 run barrage, you scored 43 runs total for the weekend. That is an average of 14.3 runs per game. And I brought up Julian Brock. It's the last thing I'll mention before we go to break. James, I have Julian Brock's stats from the weekend series. He had 10 at-bats, has a 500 batting average with five base hits. He had a double, three homers, eight RBIs, a slugging percentage of 1.5, 1,500, and an on-base percentage of 643. In three games. You know what I call that? I call that filthy. That is absolutely disgusting. He needs to take a shower after that. Matt Degg said it so many times last year. Talked about how good of a defensive catcher Mm -hmm. Julian Brock was. And then he would always follow that up with if he could just get his offense to come around. Well, guess what, Coach? It's starting to come around. It's come around. He finished the season last year with 35 RBIs. He is 34 today. 25 games in. Yeah. Yeah, his offense has come around. We'll take a timeout. Matthew Bruni of Bengal Tiger on three joins us next. We'll talk LSU women's basketball some more as they head to Dallas for the first Final Four since 2008 right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB and sign up, place your first bet, and get to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. I'm going to be taking the Astros to win the AL West, Christian Javier to have at least 199.5 total strikeouts, and Aaron Judge to be the home run leader. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB to sign up. Fandle, official partner of Major League Baseball. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit is required. Refund issued is novel drop of bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at Fandle.com slash sportsbook. And if you or somebody you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. This is Crunch Time. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 436 here on your Monday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game hotline 337 706 one one we opened the show talking about Kim Mulkey and company 
winning the Greenville Regional and heading to Dallas for the Final Four for the first time since 2008. Matthew Bruni of Bengal Tiger on 3 Sports joins us now on the game hotline to share his thoughts. Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about this group. You know, uh, we we talked about it to, to start the show, like I mentioned. It's really rare to to see somebody come into a D1 college program that had only won nine games the year before and then put them in the Final Four within two seasons. Yeah, I mean, the work that they did last year really set the foundation, and even though it ended with a second-round loss, um, you could tell that the wheels were turning, everything was going in the right direction, and Kim Mulkey was really uncertain about how this year would look because you lose players like Kayla Pointer and Faustina Fuwa and Autumn Newby and Jalen Cherry. I mean, they lose four of their five starters from last year, and they have to go in the portal. They have to sign a few um, important freshmen and nine new faces on this team with Alexis Morris as really the only returner and they're, they find themselves in the Final Four. Obviously, when you can get a player like Angel Reese out of the portal, who's one of the best players in the country, that changes things. But, I mean, the work that Kim Mulkey and the staff have done in two years is, I'm frankly, I mean, it's incredible. It's uh, unreal how, uh, how quickly they turn this around. You know, and to, to kind of piggyback off of that, the uncertainty coming into this season, like you mentioned with Alexis Morris being the only re- returner from last year, you bring in Katari Poole from Ohio State, the team that took you out of the NCAA tournament last year. You bring in Angel Reese from Maryland, and and things just kind of fell into place for Kim Mulkey. And you know, you you knew that Kim Mulkey would do good things at LSU because of her track record, winning three national championships at Baylor. You knew she would turn the program around. You just weren't sure how long it was going to take. So for it to happen as quickly as it did, I mean, could could she, she – she's the favorite for Coach of the Year, right? Yeah, I mean, she's she's done an incredible job. I'd have to go back – go across and look at others uh, across the country, obviously – I think Don Staley won it last year, uh, but she's kind of the incumbent, you know, that everybody expects South Carolina to get there now at this point. Uh, and there's been a couple others uh, that have done a great job coaching, but there is, like you mentioned, there is kind of an expectation that Kim Mulkey will win. Um, but I don't want it to be taken for granted what this team has, has done this year. There was obviously a lot of talk about their non-conference schedule, which I think was warranted to a degree because they literally did not play anybody um in in that two-month span and then they entered conference play um and there were still some questions because the sec at the bottom was not very good this year but for anybody who watched this team i think you understood what you were watching and this team had something and it had something special going for it and had the talent to be competitive and I mean, once once they started beating teams like tennessee and ole miss and arkansas and alabama i mean it really started to come together, and you could tell that they had something special moving forward. So, yeah, it, it hasn't shocked me that they've made it this far, um, but I think it is definitely this team reaching its absolute ceiling, which is obviously what you want from any team. 
And and I know that this season isn't over. Obviously, they're going to play in Dallas on Friday night against the winner of Virginia Tech and Ohio State. But looking ahead, Angel Reese is only a sophomore, likely going to be back next year. You bring in a player like Michaela Williams that will probably replace Alexis Morris, and then you still have Katari Poole, Flage Johnson, Jasmine Carson. Could 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 next year's squad maybe be even better? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. Uh, the Angel Reese situation is obviously, um, she's a sophomore technically by the COVID year. Um, this is her third year playing, so she'll have, you know, she could have two more years uh, at LSU in theory. Obviously, after next year, she could go pro if she wants to. She could, she'll have to weigh that. And but the, I mean, she's making so much off NIL right now. People are thinking she could, she could return. Um, from this team, you lose LaDasia Williams. You lose Alexis Morris. Um, and then Jasmine Carson, I'm not 100% sure on her eligibility. On her eligibility. Uh, she might have a COVID year still, but I believe this is her fifth year um, playing. So even if you lose those three, uh, you're, like you said, you're looking at Flaugé Johnson, who was SEC freshman of the year. Um, I'm looking at Samaya Smith, freshman forward, who has really shown flashes of being an awesome defensive player and has really good touch around the rim. Yeah, you return Poole, you return last year Poe, and then you have the um, number one or number two player in the country coming in in uh, um, in uh, next year's class, and as well as the number seven player in Aliyah Del Rosario, who's a six foot five post. So, a lot of uh, reinforcements coming in for Kim Mulkey, and you know she'll continue to attack the transfer portal as well, looking for some veterans because she loves those veterans. Chatting with Matthew Bruni of On Three dot com. So, looking ahead to the Final Four. Uh, you know, Ohio State is just so intriguing considering that Ohio State was the team that knocked them out of, of the NCAA tournament last year. Virginia Tech having a great year as one of the 4-1 seeds. Either way you look at it, the, the, the matchup's not going to be easy for, for LSU. Which one do you think is a better matchup, though? I think Ohio State is a definitively better matchup. So if y'all are watching the game center, if y'all are free at 8 o'clock, to start rooting for Ohio State. Um, I, both are very capable. Ohio State has just been really streaky at times this year, a bit up and down. I have a really good player in Taylor Mixell who can carry them offensively and really shoot the ball, but Virginia Tech is just a lot more diverse, has more variety, has a, few, has a lot more depth, in my opinion, and um, it'll be interesting to see if, if Ohio State can, can beat them because Ohio State is capable of getting hot from three, so um, yeah, it, it, Virginia Tech, in my opinion, is the better team, and I think they would be probably, you know, um, I don't know who would be favored in that game between Virginia Tech and LSU. I'd have to go back and watch the film. But, yeah, that's that's how I'm looking at this matchup tonight between those two teams. It'll be interesting. Virginia Tech just came off a win over Tennessee, 73-64. to So uh, when we know how capable Tennessee is as yeah. well. I've got Virginia Tech as a three-point favorite right here. Um, yeah, makes sense. So could definitely be a, a close game. Then the other matchup is South Carolina and Maryland. I mean, look, Maryland's had had a very strong season, going twenty eight and six. But there is a reason that South Carolina is a fifteen point favorite tonight. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kim Mulkey called her shot yesterday. She said, "Make sure y'all write about us having two of the four Final Four teams from the SEC." And as obviously South Carolina hasn't even played their Elite Eight game yet, but she said. Trust me, 
just <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna win. They'll be there. And so uh, yeah, if Kim Mulkey tells you that. I think it tells you all you need to know about uh, the South Carolina game tonight. Uh, the potential Final Four game between South Carolina and Iowa is a lot more interesting though because. For those who maybe know the name or of Caitlin Clark from Iowa, who just had a forty-point triple double, uh, she is uh, fantastic. Yeah, she's, so that would she's be a unreal. really good final four game. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you brought that up. And would Iowa be the one team to stand in South Carolina's way at this point? Uh, you got to hope that that would be the. Obviously, looking at it from LSU perspective, is how do you win a national title now that you're here, right? Um, obviously, Virginia Tech, Ohio State will be very, very tough matchup there. If you can win that, you want to not play South Carolina, obviously. You want somebody else to take take out the, the favorite. And so, I think Iowa is built to maybe get hot from three. I mean, you have Kalen Clark and a guard who can break down defenses really well and create, and they can have a lot of shooters. So who knows? Maybe if they can get hot and uh, surprise South Carolina, that might open the door for a national title. Who knows? Matthew Bruni of On3.com joining us here on the Game Hotline. Matthew, really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the week, and uh, this weekend's going to be crazy, my friend. Yep, I'll head down to Dallas on Thursday, so uh, we'll see how it goes. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. And there he goes, Matthew Bruni of BengalTigerOn3.com. Uh, speaking of LSU women's basketball, if you want to head to the PMAC to send them off, their send-off is scheduled for 3 o'clock tomorrow. They will head to Dallas. So if you want to be at the PMAC to say goodbye and, and wish them good luck as they head to Dallas for the Final Four, 3 p.m. tomorrow on the south side of the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. We'll take a timeout and wrap up our number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Karen Crow Cultural District invites you to a free family event that celebrates the spring season and Easter with the downtown Karen Crow Spring Festival this Saturday from 11 to 3 at the Patriots Pavilion behind City Hall, downtown Karen Crow. There will be an Easter egg hunt, games and activities, a cookie decorating craft table, local food, and more. So come hang out this Saturday for the downtown Karen Crow Spring Festival. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up our number one. We'll talk about those Pelicans. Four straight, looking to make it five tonight as they take on the Trailblazers. Absolutely took down the Clippers last night 131 to 110 Matt is has you re, have you regained your hope no 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 so now, so do you think at this point they are not making the playoffs still don't get me wrong what they have done is impressive mm-hmm. you knocked down 21 threes last night that's huge because before we had heard from people that the Pelicans shouldn't be exceeding 23s attempted a game 
and then maybe and maybe this is just Pelican disaster syndrome. Or it's like, oh, you start winning a couple against teams that you should be winning against, and all of a sudden you feel like you're up there again. Your last eight is brutal. Mm-hmm. Those those last eight games are really bad because you got to play the Knicks. You're gonna play the Portland. Warriors. You play Portland tonight, but you eventually have to play the Warriors. You play the Warriors tomorrow. The Knicks. That's the second to last game. You Correct. play. You play Denver on Thursday. Denver. You go back to play the Clippers on Saturday. Then you go. Or, or you come back home to play the Clippers on Saturday, and then you play Sacramento. Mm-hmm. One of the top you, teams. The and then Grizzlies. you play Memphis. Mm-hmm. And then you play New York. And then you close at Minnesota. I see two guaranteed wins in there. I think you beat Portland. I think you beat Minnesota. Everything else? Mm-hmm. Very up in the air. Because the, the question of the day is the poll question of the day on Twitter and Facebook. Go check it out if you haven't already. Do you think the Pelicans are now back on track to make that playoff run? It's it's pretty close of an even split. 35% goes to both yes and no, while the last 29% are saying they're just ready for baseball. They're ready for the MLBs, which is starting in the next couple of days. It starts on Thursday. Yep. I mean, the, look, the Pelicans are in eighth right now. They've got a half-game advantage on both the Lakers and Thunder, who take up the 9 and 10 spots. So if you beat Portland tonight, that gives you a half-game. So you're at 12 and a half games back. So you'd be tied with Minnesota for 7th. That Golden State game tomorrow is critical. Mm-hmm. Critical, because they sit at 6th. So say you make up, a, say you beat Portland tonight, you make up a half-game and go to 12 and a half. You're only half a game back from Golden State. If you beat them and take a full game's advantage there, you would be in the sixth spot, more than likely. It's interesting, though, with Golden State because over the last few games, they've lost three. They've won two. They've lost three. They've won three. Their last game, though, was against the Timberwolves where they lost 99-96. to So, question is, even though the Pels will have played three games in a row, you may have a little bit of a fatigue at that point where you're playing three games in a row, three different nights. Could you it, could you see this as an opportunity where Golden State, they're streaky. Yeah. Like it's not it's not like a they win eight, lose five. It's small streaks of win three, lose three. But right. they're currently on a one game losing streak. Can you see that happening where the Pelicans are able to get that win? They move on to six in a row if they are to beat Portland tonight, which they should be able to. Portland has a lot Everybody's of injuries. Out. Yeah, they're they're looking to sit Damian I, Lillard for the rest of the season. I could see it, and, and I think that if you got that win over Golden State and put yourself in that six seven spot, that would be huge because your next game is against the top seed in the West. And then you also have to play the second seed and the third seed before the season ends. So if you could make some ground up, I'm not, I'm not saying you know get to fourth place, but if you could get to the point where if you can get out of the playing tournament, if altogether, you don't have to worry about the play-in, absolutely, that is that, an absolute win. That's huge. It's huge because that's two less games that you have to worry about. Two to three, and then or yeah, yeah, two. One one to two. One to two. And with that extra rest, you wouldn't be back for a couple of days. 
and Zion could potentially Correct. be back by that point because he's been cleared. He's been medically cleared to do some stuff in practice. So, but he hasn't been able to really do like a full practice, and he obviously hasn't been able to get back on the court just yet. But with that extra time, you could be what first game back, even a couple of games into your first round series against yeah. whichever opponent you have, and then you get Zion back. It's big. It's big. Um, you really, if you're the Pelicans, you really need to try to get through to that one through six spot if somewhere you can, out if of you the can play finish, tournament. If you can finish with those last seven games, if you can finish with a positive record, that's an absolute yeah. win. Yeah, uh, that would be huge for for the Pelicans going forward. Because again, sitting there with, with wins over Golden State and Sacramento, and maybe even Memphis, get a win against the Knicks. Those are big confidence boosters as, as you as you head down the stretch. Trey Murphy, though. He's yeah. been a dog. He was different last night, that's for sure. He's been a dog. I, I think Bi and Trey they are really they are starting to get a real chemistry together. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And you know, uh, CJ's doing enough. CJ's kind of doing what CJ does. You're not asking him to be the hero. No, um, you're, you're asking him to be the veteran presence that that contributes, and that's exactly what he's been over over the last th- this this four game winning streak for the Pels. They play at nine o'clock tonight against the Portland Trailblazers. But that's going to just about do it for hour number one. In hour number two, we're going to have Tiger Talk with Wilson Alexander talking LSU spring football. We'll also talk about the Cajuns spring football and a whole lot more right here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the Fighting Tigers of LSU and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You might be clocked out, but we still have an hour to go here on Crunch Time. Hour number two on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. And as a reminder, here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcasts, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Here in our number two, we are going to talk about McNeese baseball and recap their weekend. We'll also start talking about the Astros just a little bit as their regular season opener is three days away at Minute Maid Park. We'll we'll talk about that game with the White Sox and much more. But right now, let's talk about the LSU Tigers from a from a football perspective as spring football fully underway now in Baton Rouge. Wilson Alexander is our LSU football expert. He joins us each and every Monday at 5 o'clock for Tiger Talk. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammered to left field. Going back, taking a look. Is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. 
Wilson, happy Monday to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are y'all this afternoon? Oh, doing well, man. Doing well. So my my first question is, and I know again you're you're in football in football mode, so I'll keep this brief. Kim Mulkey in her second year takes LSU to the Final Four. What are your thoughts on that? It's so impressive to watch that game last night and think back to a program that won nine games before she got here and is now something like fifty-eight and eight. I think mm-hmm. if I have that that correct since she arrived, mm-hmm. the turnaround has been incredible. The fact that this team is going back to the Final Four for the first time in 15 years is remarkable. You know, Kim, back at her first press conference, uh, preached patience, said this wasn't going to happen overnight, but it kind of has. And um, LSU has a shot here to play for a championship in basketball, either men's or women's, for the first time ever. They've been to some Final Fours, but they've never actually gotten into that championship game um, we'll see what happens tonight with uh, in Virginia Tech and Ohio State um, about who LSU is going to play for that chance there to get into the championship. Um, but and I think they've got like the second best odds now to do that. So um, you know, there's a chance that LSU is is playing for a title. Now looking looking at football, you wrapped up another week of spring football practice, and there was some big news. Last week, as Jamar Cain has moved on to the NFL, he will join Sean Payton's staff in Denver. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on on that move from an LSU perspective? And obviously, they're they're already looking at at some possible candidates to replace him. So this for Jamar Cain was a dream to coach in the NFL. It was he had told his players he'd been transparent about it before with them that his goal was to get into the NFL one day. And so when this opportunity came up for him to coach um, with the Denver Broncos as a pass rush specialist under Vance Joseph, their defensive coordinator, uh, he, he didn't want to pass that up. And, um, you know, the timing's not great for LSU, just being in the middle of spring ball, uh, already five practices in uh, to all of a sudden lose a defensive line coach on a defensive line that's, you know, a position that we were all intrigued to see what would happen kind of going into this season with some new faces and having to replace some guys. Now LSU's got to replace the coach, um, a coach who had done a good job last year of helping LSU withstand the loss of Mason Smith um, and bring along some uh, uh, you know younger players and recruit. You know He was a major reason that Deshaun Womack, the five-star edge rusher, is at LSU. Um, and it was, uh, you know, he recruited Jackson Howard and, um, he was working on guys in this 2025 class. And so now LSU's got to obviously replace that. Um, it has plenty of time to do so. Um, I've been told that this is something that they're going to take their time with a little bit. Um, expect Gerald Chapman, who is an, a defensive analyst, uh, to kind of be, you know, take on more with the defensive line. Uh, he was the defensive line coach at Colorado last season and then became their interim defensive coordinator uh, about midway through the, that year. Um, before coming back to LSU, where he had been in 2021 as a defensive analyst in that same role. So that's how they'll approach it right now as they start looking uh, for the full-time replacement. What has stood out to you so far through, through the first two or so weeks of, uh, of spring football? Probably uh, A few things kind of jump out to mind. One is J.D. and Toviano uh, continuing to get a lot of work um, with either the first or the second team and, and being moved around a good bit. You know, he got uh, some run with the – at cornerback a little bit earlier in the spring. Now the last few practices he's been with the safeties. He's been at nickel. 
you know, Brian Kelly said that some of these younger guys, I um, mean, and he said that he, you know, they still needed to kind of fully evaluate over the spring to see who could do this, but that some of these corners could potentially move back to safety, which is a position where LSU's got its starter set, but doesn't have a lot of depth. And so Toviano looks like a possibility to do that. You know, he's just, he's like six one and about 199 pounds and looks physically ready, and they're really just impressed with him early on. So Toviano has stood out to this point. Um, I would say also uh, it's just obvious that the depth uh, at this current moment is not great. Um, it should be fine by the time the season rolls around, um, but it is going to be tough in spots if LSU sustains injuries like at safety or um, on the offensive line, uh, if there's too many there or a few other positions where throughout next season, it's going to, it could be tough for them to withstand that um, because it's still the program's still in a place where they're building up that depth. And right now in the spring, that's really obvious with the numbers on the offensive line um, in particular uh, being what they are. They're going to get, you know, five guys in the summer and that's going to give them a lot more, um, but they still don't have much past their two deep in terms of scholarship players. And another position group that, that's been riddled with injuries and, and other issues thus far has been the running back room. Has that has that improved at all over the last week or so? It's going to be throughout the spring a place that's very thin. Uh, LSU is without John Emery for academic reasons, and then it's without Josh Williams uh, as he's coming off a knee injury from last season. Um, and then it's also still without Armani Goodwin, who's coming off an even more significant knee injury from last season. Um, Armani's not going to be cleared until preseason camp. Josh might be able to get back out there this spring. He's the closest of those running backs to getting back on the field. Um, But for for most of the spring and probably all of it, um, it's going to be Noah Kane and Trey Holly and then walk on. And so I actually talked to Noah Kane about this on Saturday. For him, it's an opportunity to get a lot of reps. You know, Noah came in from Penn State and didn't play, you know, he got some, some playing time last year. He led the team and uh, led the running backs, I should say, in touchdown runs. Um, but this is a chance for him maybe here in the spring to kind of push himself into the conversation for even more playing time and what will still be a rotation, but, you know, maybe be more um, heavily involved in that. But that's going to be the, it's just, it's going to be thin all spring. That's just kind of where they're at. Chatting with Wilson Alexander here for Tiger Talk. Wide receivers is going to be another interesting group as well. Malik Neighbors is obviously back after his big year. Uh, Kyron Lacey is returning. Chris Hilton returning as, as well. And then you, you've got some interesting freshmen and, and transfers like Aaron Anderson and Shelton Sampson Jr. What, what, what are your thoughts on the wide receiver group and who, who's kind of stood out so far? No one has really stood out because at least when we've been able to watch, uh, they haven't really done much other than individual drills. Um, of course, I say that in the next breath, next breath, one person does come to mind being Kyron Lacey, um, just because he's running with the ones right now. Um, we saw a kind of a full offensive drill. Uh, they were just play on air, so not much that you can really take away from it. Um, but he's with Aaron Anderson out, uh, he's gotten into that starting lineup. Uh, alongside Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas as a potential number three wide receiver. Um, so, you know, he's kind of at least, you know, had gotten that first team uh, work, but this is at wide receiver, like you're always going to see, is going to end up being a rotation during the year. And um, there's a long way to go before that shakes out. And we haven't gotten a great look yet at necessarily who's standing out. Um, but there is this other comment on it. They are definitely deep at wide receiver. This is uh, a position where you don't have to worry too much about bodies and numbers. 
Uh, they've got even more guys coming in the summer with Shelton Sampson um, and um, uh, another one of their freshman signees. And so there'll be uh, plenty of guys at wide receiver and a lot of a lot of healthy competition there. You know, I got to ask you about baseball b- before you run because I mean, what a what a huge weekend for for Jay Johnson and company to to lose game one the way you did on Friday and then to bounce back on Saturday and outscore the Razorbacks twenty six to seven. I mean, LSU baseball is rolling right now. It's funny that at any time LSU baseball loses, especially I think at this point in the year when you just started SEC play, half the fan base tends to melt and the other half says, it's okay, it's one game. Um, and then I guess there's probably a portion that's just kind of in the middle of that. Um, but there was quite a bit of distraught feelings after that loss on Friday, and understandably so, in that you, know, you lose an extra inning games at home uh, on Friday night. That's a tough way to start a weekend. But yeah, for them to come back, and just obliterate Arkansas over the next two games in a doubleheader is incredibly impressive. Dylan Cruz continues to rake. I mean, my God, he is – There's, I don't know what else you can say about him. We've been talking about him for years, and he just he's gotten better. In fact, he's batting over 500 at this point in the year is amazing. Um, but it's not just him. You know, this lineup is deep. The pitching uh, really came through for them. Ty Floyd with what he did on Saturday, um, giving them you know a little bit over six quality innings. Uh, was was great, especially after he kind of got to a little bit of a rocky start and then really clamped down. So they're in a good position, getting a lot out of Garrett Edwards as well, and um, it's going to be an awesome, you know, weekend with Tennessee coming to town. Yeah, you know, just hitting five thirty one in twenty four games. No, no big casual. Right, right. Wilson Alexander joining us for Tiger Talk from the Advocate. Wilson, appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll do it again next week, my friend. All right, sounds good. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for having me on. And there he goes, Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. Yeah, you know, ju- just casual numbers for Dylan Cruz. 531. By the way, he was named SEC Player of the Week this week for his performances throughout the weekend. 531 with 10 doubles, 9 homers, and 32 RBIs. Just 24 games into the season. He's been walked 26 times as well. So... Absolutely just insane numbers. But uh, we'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time, about 514. And when we return, we'll talk McNeese. And we'll talk Saints because they signed a, a key receiver in Brian Edwards today. We'll talk about that move. Plus, I've got a thing or two to say about some umpires. We'll, we'll, we'll do that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to see the defending World Series champs in person, then you're in luck because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our first Astros weekend getaway of the season as the Astros take on the Texas Rangers on Saturday, April 15th. And you could win four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations by registering in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
We're back here on Crunch Time 519 on your Monday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Looking at the McNeese Cowboys baseball team, 16-8 and eight so far on the season. They have dropped three of their last four after going 1-3 on the week, dropping two to Nichols and then losing their midweek game to Houston. So looking at their season, 16-8, and eight, they're 1-2 and two to start conference play in the Southland. And looking at their statistics, looking at some of their leaders, Josh Leslie leads the way from a hitting perspective, sitting at 330. He's got 33 base hits, 13 doubles, 2 triples, 5 homers, and 35 RBIs. He's got a slugging percentage of 650 and an on-base percentage of 391. Brad Burkell up there as well at 302. Peyton Harden struggling a little bit, hitting 258 with only one homer and 12 RBIs so far on the season. Looking at their pitching, seeing who's kind of leading the way there for them, Grant Rogers with a 1.29 ERA in six starts. He is 6-0. 42 innings pitched. He's only given up 22 hits, six runs, five walks, and he has struck out 46 so far on the season. And and Friday night games, like I said, 6-0. They've gone pretty well for McNeese. Kanan Morrow has been a, a good pitcher for them as well, 2-1 in 10 appearances. Um, so McNeese isn't necessarily struggling. 16-8 and eight is a pretty solid start to the season. Uh, they, they just got to find a way to string wins together consistently um, right now because, like I said, if you look at their schedule, they've dropped three of their last four dating back through this past week. They've got a game tomorrow night at home against Southern before hitting the road for a Southland series with Houston Christian on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Speaking of McNeese, former McNeese softball player Jill Poulard has announced that she is transferring to Oklahoma State. So big get for for Oklahoma State. They're already a, a top ten program in college softball, but but to add a bat like Jill Poulard could just make them that much better. So big move for Oklahoma State there. James, let's talk about the Saints. Let's talk about Brian Edwards, the Saints' newest wide receiver. Everybody wants to talk about how this isn't a great deal. And look, I'm not overly in love with with the guy. I, I don't think he's this you know groundbreaking, oh my God, he's going to change the Saints receiving room. Correct, but he it's also we're acting like it's a bad deal. We don't know exactly what the terms are just yet, but it's likely going to be a one-year deal where it's practically a prove-it. And here's the thing. Even though he hasn't put up great numbers in his three years in the league, especially looking at last year where he played. Well, he only in, played in, in seven games. He, pl- he played in less than half the games, and he only recorded less than 10 catches. So there was a lot to be desired there. But if you remember that, the first two years in the league for him, in 2020 and 2021, he was oh in Las Vegas with the Raiders, and who was there in 2020 and 2021? Oh yeah, maybe a guy by the name of Derek Carr. Oh yeah, the Ooh. new Saints quarterback. So Here, and then here's the other thing. Here and this is the biggest thing for me. He's 24. Mm-hmm. He's still getting his feet wet in the NFL. 
So if the Saints can, especially his chemistry with Derek Carr, if you could plug him in as the number three, maybe even the number four receiver. I mean, look, what, what, are, you, what are you really expecting from, from a number three or number four receiver? Maybe 400 yards? You're looking for that 500 range, kind of, because that's that's what he had in in 2021. That was by easily his best year. He had he had 571 and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and he had over half of his catches in his career in that one year. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you watch his highlights, he's a big just toss it up there and let him go get it. He's a big jump ball guy, which the Saints need. Correct. Which worries me because I really wanted At Perry. I don't know if you can necessarily close the door on that in the draft, but I I would love to get an A.T. Perry because he reminds me of Marcus Colston, which is kind of what you would do with Brian Edwards. But at that point, maybe you don't have Rashid Shaheed be on the field as much, and you'd still be able to do his, you know, like some gimmick plays. You can do an end around, a sweep with him, or have him be that shot guy because you would have... You'd basically have um, Mike still do his thing as the X. You'd move Chris Olave to the Y. You could move Mike to the slot when you need to and then have Brian Edwards be on the outside. But then you would move Rashid Shahid into kind of like that Robert Meacham role where he's not on the field a vast majority of the time. But when you get out there, he's going out there for a shot. And because he's practically the fastest guy on the field, more likely than not, you'd be able to hit that because Derek Carr likes to sh- take those deep shots. He's big on the short and intermediate, but he's not bullish on taking deep shots. We saw it a lot last year with Vegas on him just throwing it up there Correct. for Brian Edwards in 2021 and last year with Devontae Adams just tossing up there, giving Absolutely. his guys a chance. Absolutely. Um, so definitely, I think it's a good move by the Saints. It is a move that... It's a value deal. And again, we, we, we don't know the numbers, but I can't imagine the Saints paid him more than... A few million dollars. Two, three million dollars. Like, um, you still got you still got money to work with if you're the Saints. So, I, I think it's a smart move, and if it works out, the Saints look like kings. It makes them look damn good if it works out. So, and, and if it doesn't, you know... Thanks for the help. Cut your ties. Move on. Like that's that's basically the whole mo of the Saints. You take when you're signing a new guy. Usually, it's a low like it's it's a low risk, high reward type yep. of thing because you're not paying a whole lot. Because if it doesn't work out, okay, well you just cut ties really quickly and you don't burn a lot of your salary cap. You don't take a lot of dead cap. But if it works out, well then boom. It was the same thing with Jarvis. Jarvis didn't really work out, but it's not like you sign him to like a three-year deal for $30 million. It's not Correct. like you invest a lot in juice. It was a one-year deal, and he's currently still a free agent because he's still recovering from his injuries from last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. And it's not like you felt like it was a huge loss because you didn't put a lot financially into it. I think it's a strong move for the Saints. I don't think they're done. Oh, no. They still got money to work with. Um, I, I, I don't think they're done. I think they're going to use every penny that they have to work with this offseason. Save enough for the free, for the draft class. Yeah. But which you, will only you, which I, I read will only take about $3 million. Yeah. And, and with that, depending on who you get, because you could put 
your last few eggs into one or two baskets, or you can spread it out into four, five, six baskets Correct. and still get some more value, guys. So definitely interested to see what Mickey Loomis is going to do. Yannick Ngagwe? With, oh. Ooh. I've heard rumblings here and there about the Saints either being interested in or may, like him being a good fit for the Saints since you could use somebody that's still somewhat young in the league and have him be opposite Cam Jordan because you still don't know what you got in Peyton Turner, Carl Granderson, and Tano Pass. And, you know, those are nice guys, but those are more relief guys to give Cam a break. One top story that, that we haven't gotten to yet today that I, I find incredibly intriguing. We've talked about the Lamar Jackson saga just time and time again as it gets updated. Lamar, this feels like a soap opera. Lamar put out a series of tweets today explaining his side of the story. And apparently, according to Lamar, he requested a trade from Baltimore on March 2nd. It is now March 27th. So for the last 25 days, we've believed that there was a possibility Lamar could return to Baltimore. When there's, when there's really not. Because here's the thing. Lamar's probably going to sign a one-year deal. Yeah, that with that for, franchise tag. For Yeah, he, he's going he's gonna to agree to the franchise tag. And then he's going to look at Baltimore and say, if you don't trade me, I'm sitting. Or I'll play and probably not give 100%. I was going to say, because... I, you can't roll out either because we've seen guys before where they sit out and it just, just doesn't work for them like Le'Veon Bell. But that was a different case because Le'Veon's a running back. Lamar is a quarterback. But It's, then, it's different. But, but I, I think he'd still play. However, if there's any sort of injury that he gets, oh, it doesn't matter it. if it's minor or not. He's or gonna if it's He's going to milk it. He's going to be like, I'm sitting out. I'm sitting out because... You're not going to risk getting an injury and tearing an ACL or an Achilles and then being out for multiple months, Correct. missing training camp with the next team that you're going to want to go sign with because this, whether this happens or not, he is not going to stay in Baltimore for very long. No. And on the other side of that coin, you you hear people say, oh, well, if he sits, he's only hurting himself. Is he? Is he? He's a league MVP. People know what he's capable of. He's still young. You've seen his passing get better with each coming is year. He, is, is he really hurting himself? He's, are, he's already so. proven that when he's out, Baltimore gets a whole lot worse. Mm-hmm. We thought Tyler Huntley mm-hmm. could be a really good backup and a serviceable starter depending on the situation. This isn't but a, what happened last year. This isn't a Jean Morant situation where the Grizzlies somehow – play better without him than they do with him I, I i don't i still don't understand that but the the numbers the or numbers the pels, back it up or the pels get into a groove correct after a certain point when zion's out correct they just realize the, we just got to move on the, the numbers back it up when when job ja misses you know 15 to 25 games the grizzlies are damn good in that stretch um so i don't know what what it is that what juju they've got going on in memphis but lamar leaves the ravens the ravens plummet so Lamar has shown his worth to the 32 teams in the NFL 
when it comes time for a trade, you're going to have 20 suitors knocking at the door. You're going to have teams that don't even need a quarterback saying, hmm, what are you, what are you asking? Because if you're asking a price that I can pay, I might trade the guy I've got and get some of the capital that I'm about to give you, see if maybe I can get some of it back from somebody else. So you're going to have teams that don't even necessarily need a quarterback give the Ravens a phone call. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if Mickey Loomis made a phone call. Said, hey, just curious, what's the asking price? Just just out of curiosity. Probably the Saints probably won't be able to pull it off, no. but you still, what's it going to hurt to ask? Um, just so, get a read on it. Right, absolutely. So You're not really looking to make the deal. You're just kind of seeing, just, you know, window shopping. The Lamar Jackson and Baltimore saga has been pretty juicy thus far. But I think it's going to get juicier. I, I think it's I think it's going to become better than than most reality TV shows. Uh, but we'll take a time out here. When we return, we will look at the night ahead. We've got a couple of NCAA Elite Eight games for women's college basketball. We're also getting ready for the MLB to get underway. Plus, the Pelicans and Trailblazers. We'll recap. We'll preview all of that and more next, right here on the game. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. 537 right now as we're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day on Twitter and Facebook. Now, Matt, a lot of people in the area can relate with you. Mm -hmm. You're not the biggest fan of referees. No. Not the biggest fan. Typically not, no. Typically not. Now, what about umpires? Because they're they're basically the referees, but for baseball. How do you feel about them? The way umpires have been acting lately, I want them to go away. Oh, like would you say like go like have the MLB do the robot umps? You going that far? I don't want to. I don't want to. But, but if a, desperate but times if, call for desperate but, measures. But but if, but if a guy's gonna get tossed for moving his glove what are we doing in case in case, in case you didn't see it JT Realmuto the the Phillies catcher earlier today in a spring training game wanted a new baseball from the umpire so he put his glove behind like hey hey blue hand me hand me a ball standard practice right well apparently the, the commentators alluded to this Earlier in the game, similar thing had happened, and the umpire just threw the ball to the pitcher himself. Which also happens on occasion. And so JT Romito has his hand, and he leaves it there for a couple of seconds, and then realizes, okay, he's probably just going to throw it to the pitcher again. I'll put my hand down. Coincidentally, as he puts his hand down, the ump went to put the glove, put the ball on his glove. And so the ump thought that he was being disrespectful and moving his glove out of the way and blah, blah, blah. So didn't even say a word, didn't ask a question, nothing. 
tossed him. And JT Romito turns around and says, what did I do? Like, why, why am I being ejected? And then, th- this is a little bit different of a scenario. I've seen multiple instances in college baseball this season where players are either getting warnings or getting ejected for their bat flips. Like Trey Morgan in the early Saturday game against Arkansas. Now, here's one thing. If you're throwing, if you're doing a bat flip, and you're throwing it either a at the in the direction of the other team's dugout, or into the field of play, like towards the pitcher, that's one thing. That's a line you don't cross. But if a player tosses his bat, and and not not egregiously, but if he does a bat flip in celebration of a home run towards his own team's dugout. James, who is he hurting? Who is he offending? If you don't want the guy to celebrate, here's an idea. Don't throw him a pitch he can hit. I get the whole ideology of, you know, there's a code and there's there's these unwritten rules. I'm not a big fan of unwritten rules. I'm not. Everybody gave Fernando Tatis Jr. crap a, a year or two ago for hitting a grand slam on a 3-0 count. Why'd you throw it down the middle? Let me tell you something. I don't care if it's 3-2 or if the score was 21 to nothing. If I'm a baseball player and a pitcher throws me a fastball right down the pipe, I'm sending that sucker. What about in basketball when a team's up? 20 plus and there's five seconds left in the game and someone goes in for a driving dunker tries to steal to get an extra bucket i mean go for it is it does it make you kind of look like a jerk does it make you look like an ass yeah but is is there such thing as an unwritten no no In in the nba a lot of players have said there is an unwritten rule yeah, they, they've they've said it in the MLB too, but I, I'm not a big believer in unwritten rules. If if you if you want there to be a rule, write it down. <laughs> write it down. Put it in the rule book. Unwritten rules can't be broken because it's not written. From a from a respect standpoint, if you're up twenty in a basketball game with thirty seconds left. I'd, I would just run the clock out. Now, look, I brought up the Fernando Tatis example. In that particular instance, the Padres were up big. So is, is it kind of the same thing? Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to say as he was flat out wrong for doing it. I probably wouldn't have. But again, I'll reiterate my, my first point. If you're the pitcher and you don't want a guy sending a grand slam on a 3-0 count, probably shouldn't throw it down the middle. I get you have to throw a strike because it's a 3-0 count. doesn't mean you have to throw it right down the center of the plate. But back to the umpires because that's the point of this. 
umpires are there to call balls and strikes and make sure that the game doesn't get out of hand. Make sure that a, a full-out brawl between both benches doesn't break out. And even if there does, even if there is one, you just you try to break it up as fast as possible. Correct. But I am not the only one that feels like, especially this year, umpires have gone the extra mile to assert their power. And if that continues, the MLB and other baseball organizations are going to kind of have their hand forced to where it's, it's very likely that they could go to robot umpires, which nobody wants. I, I've seen, you know, Brian Lima is a guy that, that we have on our, our show quite regularly. He's a baseball fanatic, and he has been very vocal about how much he is against robot umpires. But earlier today, he retweeted the video of the JT Romuto incident and said, it's stuff like this that makes me want robot umpires. And I kind of feel the same way. You have to control... You have to uphold a certain type of correct professionalism. If, if Look, uh, again, Trey Morgan's bat flip... In the first game on Saturday. Was nothing. He gave it a nice little flick. In the direction of his own team's dugout. Like, did it co- did it come with some flair? Like, got some frustrations out? Yeah. Yeah, I, I could feel it from, from my house watching on TV. But it didn't feel disrespectful. It wasn't disrespectful. He didn't do it towards an opposing player. He It didn't come off as aggressive. He didn't put anyone in danger. No. Why? 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 Why do you have to issue him a warning? A little bit of a push. Got get the bat out. You know, just like feel yourself because you just hit a home run. Why? Why do you have to issue him a warning? It's not like he stuck the bird out to the pitcher. Like, right. Yeah. Eat this. Or there was an incident a couple weeks ago where a University of Washington player hits a game tying homer, does a bat flip, and then as he rounds second base to a group of Washington fans in the stands, he underlines his chest where it says Washington, up throws him out for excessive celebration. What? Who's he who's he bothering? Why can't if, if anything, that should fire up the other team to come back and win. Why can't baseball just be fun? Why can't we show off personality? Thank you. Thank you. Like, I get it. It's a perfect... Like, whenever you get to the professional level of the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, I get it. You're a professional football, hockey, baseball, basketball player. But at the end, at the end of the day, it's entertainment. We like, we like the fundamentals, but we also like flair. We like to see people's personality come out. The, we, guys- love, we love the emotion. These guys have feelings. They have emotions. They should be allowed to convey them as long as it doesn't cross a line. Correct. There's lines. I'm, I'm not saying that there can't be lines because there has to be. But if, I, You I, have to call it at a certain point. 
I don't believe that Trey Morgan crossed any sort of line with his bat flip. I just don't. Because, again, was not in the direction of, of the pitcher. Because you've seen sometimes where guys will, will toss it right there in front of the plate, like in the grass. Obviously, you know, that's that's a no. If you flip it towards the opposing team's dugout, that's that's probably a no. Flip it forward at the pitcher. Correct. Flip it back at the ump. or. But as you're walking down the first base line, if you flip it towards your own dugout, there's nothing wrong with that. There's just nothing wrong with that. So, whether it's the NCAA, whether it's the MLB, whoever, you got to do better. You just have to do better. Because JT Real Muto, Trey Morgan, Trey Morgan should have never got a warning, and JT Real Muto for damn sure shouldn't have been thrown out. Point blank. Shouldn't have been thrown out. Guys are getting ejected way too easily nowadays. And you you have to be able to, as an umpire, you have to be able to call the game and keep everything in check. But you don't you can't take it too far either. And a you lot can't, you you're the ump. You're not one of the players playing the game. A, a lot of a lot of umpires have have taken their 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 power struggle a, a little too far. So got to clean that up. Got to be better about that because otherwise we're going to end up with robot umpires, and I don't think many people want that. But we'll take a time out. Wrap up today's show here on Crunch Time right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Harlem Globetrotters are returning to the Cajun Dome on Saturday, April 15th, and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to help you score tickets to the show. Text GLOBE to 337-283-8100 to score a family four-pack of tickets. That's GLOBE to 337-283-8100. So shoot a text and get your tickets and be amazed at the Globetrotters' famed ball-handling skills, dunks, and laugh-out-loud antics on April 15th at the Cajun Dome. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back for the final time on this Monday edition of Crunch Time. The not-so-smelicans are back tonight on the court as they're in Portland to take on the Trailblazers. Tip-off is going to be set for 9 o'clock. The Trailblazers have a lot of injuries on their roster, so it looks like even though the Pelicans have had their number, it feels like this should be a, I don't want to say an easy win, but it should be pretty, an easy win for the close. Pelicans. It's about as easy as they're going to come. Especially um, in this last stretch. you got eight games left, and this one's by far. I mean, Lillard's the, out. The least uh, competitive. Lillard is their leading point scorer and their leading assist guy. He's out. Anthony Simons is out. Jeremy Grant is out. Yusuf Nurkic, their leading rebounder, is out. Trendon Watford is doubtful. Cam Reddish, still currently listed as doubtful. You're missing all of your starters, except for maybe one. 
And B.I. and Trey are on a roll right now. Exactly. So this feels like it should be you just cruise on going to Golden State next. Absolutely. James, what's your plans for tonight? Um, Just kind of working on some stuff here in the studio and then going home, work on some stuff that's going to be coming up later in the week. What about you, Matt? Your boy's going to the gym. Oh, okay. Work your, off that Dr. Pepper. Your boy. Man. Only had one today. Okay, so it was one. Okay. I've only had one today. Okay, but how many after? After what? After the workout. None. Or or okay, so are you gonna bring like a maybe like a two liter bottle and just <laughs> have some in between reps? I would be that guy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody walks into the gym with their gallon of water. I'm sitting there with my two liters of Dr. Pepper, like, excuse me, let me just just pop that open real quick. Oh, crap, crap, crap. No, no, no. It's too, too much. <laughs> it's it's spewing. It's going everywhere. Oh man. I, I would be that guy. If anybody if anybody sees me at the gym with a Dr. Pepper, just don't ask any questions. It's my just accept it's, it's it. my it's my workout fuel. <laughs> it's my workout fuel. That reminds me when we were doing racing um for Boy Scouts, there was there was a kid and he he would be like, I need some extra juice, I'm gonna go eat some candy. I'm like, What? Oh, oh my god. That 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 sounds like me actually. <laughs> I think it was you. <laughs> want to take this opportunity to thank our guest today, Matthew Bruni of On3.com, as well as Wilson Alexander from The Advocate for joining us. Pelicans play tonight. Final four in the women's side is getting set tonight and much more. Come back tomorrow. We'll do to the moon as there's just two days left until the Astros season gets underway. For James Mash, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. We're back tomorrow, 4 to 6, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.